Ian good at identifying the space or the gap for herself and picking out a few mismatches. Um, and like she was going herself and not passing, oh, oh, kicking well. the ball away. Then, <laughs> yeah, yeah. If, if she's taking everything in the ball, she's not going to score. She'll kick it. She did look to pass in fairness, and she it was like a dummy pass. It's she like, was never so passing no, that no, ball. No, You're joking me. No, Don't you worry, we'll keep her feet right on the ground today. House of Rugby Ireland here on Joe. Game changed. Hello and welcome to House of Rugby Ireland here on Joe. No Emer today as she's off on Six Nations duty and she's flying at two after two tries yesterday. So you're stuck with myself, Chris Henry and Ian Madigan who's just also fresh off um, a quarterfinal win yesterday. How are you lads? Yeah, really good. Yeah, great. Thanks for All good. We'll be joined by Leinster and Ireland star Michelle Claffey later to talk about the Women's Six Nations. But first, Pat has given us a good topic to kick off the show. It's um, about who your maddest teammate was through your, throughout your playing days. Yeah, like, I mean, Do you have any? Jeez, there's, there's plenty of names for me, to be honest. Um, I think every good team needs to have a few uh, mad headers in, in your team. Um, but the obvious one for me was um, Neil Best, um, you know, a fan favourite at Ulster and Ireland. And the reason why um, I felt he was the obvious choice was... Um, when Neil was coming up at Ulster, he didn't come through like a typical rugby school. He had to go the hard way and was playing for Malone Rugby Club and was playing so well that Ulster decided we have to bring this guy in for a trial. So he came in for about, I think it was four or five weeks and literally every training session, he just kicked the crap out of everyone. Um, you know, whenever there was no contact, he didn't know what no contact was. He was just yeah. smashing boys. <laughs> and eventually Mark McCall, you know, everyone was going, right, we have to give this guy a contract because yeah. he just, he's too good. So obviously went on, played, you know, every time he played for Ulster in Ireland, um, no regard for his own body. Um, the fans loved him. But the the other story about Neil I always um, loved and remembered was when we, we played in the Churchill Cup in Denver, Colorado. Mm. We won the, the Churchill Stag, it was called then. And he, <laughs> and he was, the, he was the, the captain of that team. Mm. And Churchill Stag, it was, always, it was a relaxed uh, tournament, but we had a really good team out. And... Um, Bestie the night before the, we played England Saxons, who also had a good team. You know, he had us all fired up, you know, pumped up to play this, this English team. But the final words he said before he went uh, out to play was, and look, lads, no matter what happens, win or lose, we're always going to boost. And, you know, for, <laughs> so, for, 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 for such a big game for him to pull that off. And it motivated us all. And luckily, we won and, and we were able to, to enjoy our summer break. But Neil Best, like, what a guy, just uh, an absolute header. But Brilliant teammate. Oh, I fully backed that up. He was a mental individual, but he's what a guy to have in your team as mm. well. I remember that speech vividly because I think he was playing in Northampton at the time and he was just telling how English don't respect us and this and that. But then obviously, win or lose, boys, on the booze. It was just like people just people pissing themselves laughing at the end of it. How about you, Mads? Yeah, I don't know about Mattis, but like Lukey Fitz is always someone who I love sharing the dressing room with. He's you know, the kind of guy who'd put himself head first into anything. Um, I remember kind of early on in his career, he was obsessed with like PlayStation and, you know, <laughs> <laughs> just, you know, once training would end, he'd be rushing back straight on the, you know, straight on the controller, smashing it out. Um, I remember he started, he was turning up late for sessions and stuff. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> or else they could come in absolutely wrecked because he was up all night playing it, you know, yeah, online. Yeah. yeah, it was funny. I actually heard a good story during the week. Apparently, Count Dickey is unbelievably good at Call of Duty. And um, 
So like, you know, like world. Yeah, like it's world there's like rankings. Yeah, rankings. Yeah. There's like live Call of Duty, or whatever. Um, but it's very competitive. It's very dynamic. Like it's changing all the time. So he's mainly competing against like Americans. So while he be off training, you know, the Americans are catching up with him. So he's like rushing back, literally in his in his boots, you know, <laughs> trying to trying catch to him back up. <laughs> then he goes to bed. The Americans catch back up with him. It's just like this cat and mouse game. But, uh, I'd have to say probably Mike McCarthy was up there for me. Oh, big just, time, yeah. What a great teammate, but what a hilarious guy to have around. You just you didn't know whether you're going out for coffee with him or like he was just going to do something funny. I remember one one time we were both doing a bit of punditry up in Aviva had this fan kind of studio place um, up in one of the corporate boxes. The idea was it was like it was like a virtual chat, but there was also fans in there watching, and I was being asked. Uh, question and I was just answering it was on like the first half or something like that I was halfway through my answer and next thing Mike just smashes me to the ground <laughs> in a tackle and he starts going release release <laughs> to, to my microphone standing over me and I'm on the ground and it, everyone's just looking going what is going on here then he stands up and he starts acting completely normal they ask him a question he gives this beautiful articulate like perfectly spoken answer I'm just going you can't you can't just turn into that no. person and then be this person as well, but... No boundaries. Oh, <laughs> like, what, a, what, a, what a gas character he was. Great guy. We'll move on into the rugby now stuff on, just on that Exeter-Leinster game. Obviously, a brilliant <coughs> win for, for Leinster over in Sandy Park. We all know how tough a place that is to go, but you know, just how impressive was that victory for, for you? Yeah, for me, it was... Um, you know exactly what European rugby was about. Um, to go away to play a, such a formidable team like Exeter, um, who have you know come from, you know their journey's been incredible as well. But I think for the the most impressive thing for me is obviously Exeter had such a fast start, got two quick tries. Where Leinster, um, you know the defence definitely there was a few um, slipped off tackles. Um, the line integrity was a bit disjointed, which isn't like Leinster, but it was the, the calmness and coolness for Leinster to. You know, basically problem solve and go right. Well, um, we know we get back to our game plan. We can we get into this game. We've weathered this quick start from Exeter, which they expected. Um, and then the Leinster dominance was just incredible. You know, getting back to what they're good at, um, and that is despite having you know Jolly Sexton coming off their talisman coming off so early in the game. You know, I think he maybe twenty five, twenty six uh, minutes he came off. So for Ross Byrne to come in, so there's a disjoint in this. But the team just as usual just. The system just keeps working, keeps chugging mm. on. Um, I mean, some unbelievably outstanding performances. Robbie Henshaw, man of the match, as, as usual. I think in the last mm. two or three months, it's always been he's getting man of the match. But for me, it was the dominance of that Leinster back row again. Mm. Um, you know, it's a beautifully well balanced back row of Jack Conan, Reese Ruddock. Um, you know, every time they're getting the gain lines, which they shouldn't deserve. And to Josh Fender Fleer, like I think it was twenty-two tackles, the two two turnovers at the ground. He's He's always been really good on the ground, but particularly towards the tail end of the Six Nations and that Leinster game, and also the game against Munster. Like it's f phenomenal some of the work he's doing on the ground. There. Yeah, it's like, also as well. Like, you know, I've, you know, played with Josh and you know played against him now, and he would be a guy who I think look, he's going to make a load of tackles. He's going to get over the ball well, but over the last kind of couple of months his carrying game has come on a huge amount you know he's starting to beat mm -hmm. defenders um, and Leinster are really good at that like just finding soft shoulders just creeping over the gain line and like it's like a, 
it's very difficult defending against that. Like you feel like it's just this non-stop wave coming at you. Um, mm. And Exeter really struggled to to win the game line, as, you know, as the game went on. Yeah. And, and the Van der Flower thing, I, I heard that he's this is the whole change up, the sort of slight change for him has been he's been working with the coaches, doing a wee bit extra in training. And I remember when I was playing and trying to fix aspects of your game, especially ball carrying, that, that's not that simple. You know, you're, you, yeah. you're not just, um, it doesn't just happen that easily. So for him to actually, whether it's been a mindset change for him, whether he really wants the ball more, but his carrying has been outstanding, whenever yeah. that obviously wasn't his, his, his talking point. So, yeah, I just think that this, the Leinster team yesterday, um, you know, just unbelievably impressive. And that, um, you know, any team that's going to beat them moving forward, are going to have to play unbelievably well because the, the the game plan they have, you don't know how to stop them. They've got everything. They've got such power throughout, but they've got smart decision makers uh, and there's a confidence, obviously, uh, in that a team from what they've done. So, um, yeah, it was, a, it was an absolute cracking game to watch. It was, it was a pretty... Tr- yeah. no, it was a tricky fixture as well. Like with Obviously, you know, Gary injured, James Ryan injured. They, they were missing some key guys. Dan Levy. Dan Levy, obviously. Oh. Um but you know, hopefully they'll get even like Kalen Doris, you know. Jameson gives some power. Yeah. So <coughs> it's Will Connors. It's gonna be interesting now. I think there's a is there maybe a month gap till till the, the semi final. You know, you could get Gary back in, James James Ryan back in, um, and you're gonna have some fierce competitiveness within that within that team to, you know, get a starting spot. Yeah, I think the most I actually think the most impressive thing about it was so yeah, first ten minutes they got in fourteen nil and really if you're watching the game and probably you're not really looking at the detail of what's happening and what the teams are doing, you're thinking, geez, it's going to be a long day at the office for, for, for Leinster. But like if, if, you, if you actually look back at it, so the Tom O'Flaherty first try, it's off a, um, it was a good launch, it was a good set piece, but there was, a, there was a couple of missed tackles, he goes through, scores. Then the second one, they put a couple of phases together and I think it was O'Flaherty again, just spotted that Tyg Furlong was in the line and Jordan was outside him and just took him to the outside and and managed to 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 get over again. But really throughout the game, like when they went through any multi-phase play, they were never getting over the gain line, I didn't think. No. And they were never really threatened. Once Leinster settled into the match. So think about it, they're 14-0 down over in Sandy Park. I don't know how many other teams in Europe, regardless of a crowd not being there, are going to be able to stay that composed and do what they did because none of them panicked in any way. And once they started getting into their... I think the biggest difference, actually, looking at the two teams is, and I really respect Exeter, I think they're a brilliant, brilliant team, but from being coached under Stuart and seeing the difference team, like other great teams Leinster come up against these days, and the biggest difference, it's when, one, it's the rook speed, so I did think Leinster rook speed is a small bit faster, but when the nine gets there from, from Leinster... He just throws the ball. He doesn't wait and look. And Stuart coaches that into the players. He just say he says, run the line to the forwards. So you, they're just running. They're pounding onto the ball, expecting it to be there really quick. And you can see that. That just it just eighty percent of the time they're winning those collisions and getting yeah. over the game line. Where you could you could see with Maunder the the Exeter nine. He's kind of waiting sometimes yeah. and seeing team where the mm. ten is. And that's a that's a huge. Like that split second or half a second is a huge amount of time for a line for a difference between you know smashing someone behind or them just getting over the gain line. And I think that you could see that unfold throughout the game as well. Just so many more opportunities were presenting themselves be- because that Exeter defensive line was so much more stressed. Yeah, like every half second on a on a rugby pitch is huge. Like the difference between, as you said, 
two second quick ball or two and a half second. It's the difference between being able to talk to someone inside or outside. You get a bit of confidence, a, a, you know, a slight adjustment, taking two steps further out or two steps t tighter to the rook, and that has a massive impact on the quality of tackle you're going to be making, and you know how impactful you're going to be in that. And that was something that Lancer did, you know, incredibly well throughout the game and allows them to win those contacts. Yeah, uh, uh, obviously um, James Lowe, who seemed to be much more comfortable as well, being back in the, the blue shirt. Um, yeah. Hugh Keenan again had some really um, big moments, but out of all, you could obviously the attack, the attack was so so good from Leinster, and as you said, the the um, the front football, the forwards were able to generate for yeah. them. But I think I think sorting out their defence obviously was the, probably the biggest, the, the obvious turning point because mm. it was it was on, it was unlike Leinster to let those two tries. Go. To go yeah. through so easily, like it wasn't like yeah. extra really. Yes, there's a bit of deception. It wasn't that, um, you know, uh, incredible well, attack from them. So hadn't seen before. Yeah. yeah. So I think yeah. that was the biggest thing that they went right. Okay, we're down. We've been here before, and and as I said, especially with Johnny Sexton coming off, I don't think that can be underestimated. Ross Byrne came on, mm -hmm. and and you know, as usually, he's just you know, cool, calm. Uh, operator, you know, I've never met the guy, but he just comes across as as, as being conf so much confidence coming coming from him, and obviously the rest of the players have a lot of faith in him. So for him then to orchestrate the the, the play, um, yeah, I mean, like it was a seamless change when he came mm, in, you know, yeah. and from an outsider there, you're going, oh, Johnny Sexton's coming off, geez, you know, Exeter's tails would be up, but it, it was seamless when Ross came in. But I think Ross has done that, yeah, for a number of seasons now. Whether he's starting, and and, and Johnny's not in, or he comes on for Johnny. Um, really calm guy, really like great professional, really prepared, um, very like Johnny in lots of ways. But you could see even from his place kicking, knocked over two tough yeah. kicks over there, looked like it was windy, you know, big kicks as well. Um, so I was delighted for him because listen, it was it was probably a mix of Six Nations for him. But then obviously, obviously you mentioned James Lowe, another guy getting a lot of stick. Um, he really stood up yesterday. Um, you know, they're they're extremely good back three. In, in Exeter, like that's that's one of their strong points, and I did think Hugo Keenan probably, I granted he didn't miss that tackle, but I thought he played Stuart Hogg, like he he drew him in for Jordan Larmer's first try, uh, and then the 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 second try, James you know, Lowe's first try, yeah, and the then the one, second yeah. second try for Jordan, like I think Stuart Hogg probably needs to make that tackle. I think that, um, yeah. I think that Hugo Keenan is is putting himself in a strong position to be a bolter for for, for the Lions. That's. That's what I think anyway. I don't know what you guys... But yeah, so. it strikes me when, when I'm watching teams defending him, they don't realise how quick he is. He, like, he's deceptively quick. Like, I'm not saying he's, he's a slouch right like that, but whatever way he moves, you could see that, you know, for, the, for, for the, the second try, Hogg is unsure if his winger's going to get him. Hmm. It just puts him in two minds. As it unfolds and you pause it, you go, oh, the winger would have got him. Hmm. But because he's moving at such speed, Hogg has to check for a split second... Then he d delivers the pass at the, la at the last second to the wing, and, and, and it's a try. If you don't have that top end speed, they're going to defend that easily and possibly bundle you into touch. Yeah, definitely. And I think another player that probably people don't talk about much, and he's gotten a few opportunities because Gary was injured, but Rory O'Loughlin, you know, I thought that he had a brilliant game. Uh, he really did. I thought he was probably a little bit of an unsung hero in the back line there amongst the st stars of the back line. Obviously, Robbie gets man of the match, but he had a great game. Probably a little bit unlucky with that try at the very end. He did his little Ray, Ray Houghton monkey roll as well after he scored. <laughs> but it's delighted for him because you know he's a brilliant player and, and any time he's gotten opportunities in bigger matches. Yeah, he's shown good mental strength. Like he missed a tackle, I think, one of the, the earlier tries. I think that one with, with Ty, he's on the outside of it, doesn't quite get the guy down. Um, 
was that right or was it was it was it Larmer? I think anyway, he's made a mistake in, in my book at the start of the game. It hasn't flustered him at all. It's a big European game. They've gone gone behind. He's just stuck to his process and mm. and pulled out a really good performance. Yeah, and I think like you you go you look at that game and then you look at you know what Ulster did over Northampton, and I, I I've kind of heard people that play in the Premiership. A couple of guys, I know Dan Bigger said it actually. That's just different. You know, it's a different level to to Aviva Premiership or the Gallagher Premiership in comparison to Pro 14. But when you look at what Ulster did, and I thought Ulster, you know, it was a, it was a good performance. It wasn't their best performance in the past while, and they beat them comfortably. And what Leinster then did to Exeter, the supposed best team over there, they could have beaten them by a bit more there. That last try would have been what? More than or in, in around 20 points. 20 points so, yeah. You know, they're dispatching you know, good teams, some of the best teams quite easily. See, it, like I think... I think the be- the better teams in the Pro 14 are are, are a fair bit ahead of the the Gallagher Premiership teams. What do you guys think? Yeah, it, it it's it's close. I think definitely on our day. I think what what their argument is um, and where they have their issue is leading into Europe. So let's say the standard competition where you you go two games back to your league, two games. Um, they think that the Pro 14 teams get a breather. You know, and we do. The reality is, if we're playing an Italian team or um, you know a weakened Scottish or Welsh side, we can rotate our squads in the Premiership. You don't have that luxury. Every week, it's a really tough game. Number one can beat number twelve. Sorry, number twelve can beat number one, and vice versa. Um, there, there's so many different derby games, um, and. The, the There's actual, more level playing field. What I'm trying to say is, I think it's the, the physical the top, nature. Sorry, the top the fi- teams. I think the top teams from the top teams in one or the other. Yeah, seem to come up against you the last number of years. Granted, Saracens are gone. They're not the same outfit they used to be. But take them aside with just what the, is going on at the moment. I feel the best, the better teams, the Pro 14, are ahead, well ahead. Uh, and uh, probably because you obviously you've been involved with Leinster for so long that yes, the top. Like you're obviously coming with such a Leinster. Mind space that yes, Leinster is so far ahead. I guess it's just the drop off. I, 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 it would be quite significant, I guess, in the yeah. bottom four teams compared to the bottom four teams in the Premiership. But it's, I mean, it's so. I mean, how do you? It's so hard to compare. And apart from Europe, like Europe is our chance to put all the teams in the a big melting yeah. pot and go. But as you said, it's the lead into those games and, and using the advantage in that regards. But, um, I mean, maybe the style of play. I mean, you obviously played in the Premiership. We never did. So, I mean, the style of play. They're saying more physical every week to week. I obviously don't know, but um, I think we're blessed to have you know the top teams in both tournament uh, competitions are pretty pretty impressive. You know, so I don't know. It's hard. It is a hard one to compare. It is a hard one. I suppose I'm just fighting the Pro 14 corner. <laughs> yeah, no, look, I mean, let's be honest. It was nice well, to like see. The, it was great to yeah. see bigger coming out. You know, fair play to him speaking. What he if that's what he thinks, great. It's also great to see that. Okay, well. Exactly, the you proof's know, in the so pudding. Like exactly, the, length, yeah. the, the, the you know the results, the results are there. Yeah, but qu- just quickly touching back on a couple of the. No, just on, on the pro, on the Pro 14 though. Like we've got to look back to last weekend as well, and the Pro 14 had a very bad weekend in the um, the last 16 of the competition. Like Scarlets were hockey by sale. Yeah, um, you know, Newcastle beat Ospreys, Cardiff were beaten by London Irish. Um, you know, months were beaten by Toulouse, which is slightly different. But it was, and it's been a bad year for the Pro 14. There's no two ways about it. If you look at both conferences, the gap between the top two or three teams down to the bottom two or three teams in each conference, the gap is too too big. Well, there is a big gap in the Pro yeah. 14. I'm, and, not, I'm, not, I'm not 
no, but it, it devalues the, it, it devalues the competition. If you look at the Premiership it, or the or the, the top fourteen, it's much more compacted in the middle section, you know. And you'll find as the season's going on, every team has something to play for, and that didn't happen in the Pro Fourteen. And I hope that this was the year that maybe the Pro Fourteen did hit rock bottom, and next year with the South African teams coming in, you know, the Welsh teams are are very much back on the up. Hmm. Likewise with the Scottish teams, hopefully the Italian teams can find something and, and improve. Um, but it, there's no getting away from it. It was a poor year for the Pro 14. Yeah, it probably was. Just quickly touching back on a couple of head-to-heads from that Leinster game before um, we kind of move on into a few of the other matches. So, like, Ronan Keller, for instance, was was starting at Hooker yesterday against um, against Luke Cowan Dickey. And, you know, a lot of people have talked about Cowan Dickey getting in ahead of Jamie George with England and he obviously playing, you know, for quite a number of seasons very well for Exeter. How do you feel that matchup went? If you're a Gatland, looking at how things went. Well, I mean, as a as a neutral, I, I think Ronan came out on top. You know, really do. Um, you know, you think of the, the things that are going to be important down in South Africa, the scrum line out. Uh, you know, Keller's um, maybe some key lineouts in past games hasn't gone as way well as well for him. But you know, he's, he's obviously I know improved. I think a lot in that in the big stage. Um, so I thought that went really well for him yesterday, and obviously his ball carrying. Um, so look, is he going to get to go in the Lions? I'm not sure. I'm sure he'll be told that you know if there it could be a case where you're put on standby. You know, something mm. like him to come down to add something would be brilliant. But there obviously are if you're not starting for your test team in the Six Nations, it does make it um, harder. But um, look, Cowan Dickey, I don't think um, he would have come off that pitch you know, slightly disappointed, thinking he could have done more. And especially now that Exeter are out, well, now Rogan's going to be in the shop window again for well, hopefully two more games, but mm. at least one more game, which obviously gives him another chance. So I think he will be um, you know, at home today, you know, delighted in what he did and don't think he could have done too much more. As obviously his ball carrying is... You know the the point of difference and what he brings and um, his change up. Um, he's a really tidy good player, um, but you know, there's obviously a lot of other good hookers out there who are starting for each of their countries, and that could be the the point. Yeah, of as you say, he's a good chance. You know, if he can keep yeah. that up, and it wouldn't be unthinkable that they could both go. You know, I think Ken Owens is pretty much nailed on um, from his Six Nations performance, coming from the winning side. Gatlin knows him well, but I think having you know, Keller and Cowan Dickey would be two great options as well. Yeah, I mean, but I still think, you know, someone who's going quietly under the radar, which is a bit ridiculous as, as Rob Herring, you know, Rob has, Rob has learned from, Rob has, Rob's first his line-out has been outstanding, you know, yeah. his throwing is top class. Um, do, you still, do you still have your Ulster jersey on? Of course, under, I'm, I'm always about to. We're both going on here. Underneath that jacket. Underneath that jacket. I'm about to start talking about his scrum work. Give me a second. <laughs> 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 it's something, <laughs> something you know loads about. Loads about. But I, he, he started for the Six Nations for Ireland. You know, there's a reason why they see that in him. And, and he's learnt off Rory. Like he is, Rob Herring has had to play second fiddle to Rory Best, who's been Ireland's best hooker. You know, for such a long time, and and Rob Herring has had to buy his time, and he's learned from. Him. So the, I'm not going to pretend like I know what's going on in the scrum, but from what I've heard from from other props and other front rowers or from guys play beside him, Rob Herring in the scrum and in mm. set pace adds something. Now, yes, there's no doubt the killer's um, ball carrying is fantastic, but you can't go away from someone who's starting for the. And agree with you. And agree with you. It's hooker is is a it's a position that's up for grabs mm. on that on that tour and he could yeah. well because he was starting and then another one was you know Robbie Henshaw gets asked after the game he gets asked a question about the Lions his answer was I'm just happy to be playing rugby and, and injury free like if that doesn't sum him up 
You know, that just sums Robbie up, really. You know, with the way yeah, he's played. Yeah, humble guy. Yeah, the way he's played, and you say another man of the match performance, but, you, um, you know, please God, he just stays fit now because you got to think he's just nailed down for that 12 jersey. Very much so, yeah. 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 It's just about who's going to be playing with him, I think, is the, is the question. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And then, obviously, La Rochelle dispatched Sale, and we just heard before we came on air there that... Leinster are going to be playing them over in, in La Rochelle, which is it's going to be a difficult game going over there, you know, even with no crowd, you know, proud French side, they've improved. What do you make of that draw? Yeah, so like obviously La Rochelle away is, is going to be tough. It's, it's, it's a brilliant um, fixture with obviously um, Rog, um, head coach. John O'Gibbs, ex-Leinster. John O'Gibbs too. Um, yeah, I just think that the you know, from watching La Rochelle VCL, um, you see how great start on them, and um, I actually watched or listened to Emer's um, interview with Rog a few months ago, and, and obviously the mindset of um, Rog is very much keeping the ball alive and, and pass accuracy and, and running straight. And it was actually Seal that I thought was very much on top of them at the start of the game, but it was the La Rochelle Power game that, that came into it. And I think that you know, I still be back Leinster. I think on their day, if it's a dry day, and 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 they've got a fit group of, of players there that they will beat La Rochelle but if um, I mean that La Rochelle pack for me is just massive you know and yeah. that's going to be the challenge and I'm, you know John O'Gibbs great coach but I mean if my mum was coaching the La Rochelle pack I think they'd, they'd do okay you know and <laughs> obviously with John's expertise and then with uh, Roger's you know um, emotion around the game and, and the inspiration he brings for that team that they are they're going to be a tricky side but yeah. as I said I still think that Leinster have the quality and, and especially for what they've done yesterday to go over there and, and win the game. Yeah, they have lovely balance in their game, La Rochelle. Like obviously they have a huge pack, but their ability to move the ball and you know, obviously when you're coming up against a big pack you've got to tighten your line. You want to be getting two tacklers in the contact. Um and and teams have to do that against them, but that's going to create space elsewhere. And how they exploit that space is r really impressive. You know, they they've got um, Hayo West, Hayo West, a lovely yeah. player, lovely passer of the ball. Both their centres pass the ball really well, and then they've got seriously dangerous and strong wingers. You know, so Reece Toulon, obviously great signing for them. For yeah, and he's had a very good season. Yeah, brilliant for France. Yeah. yeah. So no, look, it's going to be going to be an absolute cracker game. It's probably, but like it's hard to tell now. You know who you want, but like you just. It's the same for Ulster. We would have really wanted a home semi. Like there's no, there's no two ways about it. You just mm. go right, get us at home. We don't mind who we're against. Going on the road, you're looking then at you know who do you not want to go to? And, and you know La Rochelle, Toulouse were, were probably the two teams top of the list, and they've got La Rochelle now. So yeah, yeah. And then you've got you know Bordeaux now playing in the other semi against Toulouse after narrowly beating Racing and 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 Jally Bear knocking over that kick in the last plays of the game and you'd, you'd have to look at that game and think that, that Toulouse are in a strong position to win that game if that's a dry day um, what do you reckon? Yeah well I, I agree I think uh, Toulouse you know probably be favourites going into it I guess um, but yeah I mean look I it's, we get to the semi-final stage and you're all the, like the four four very very good teams that could all on their day beat each other and I think out of all them La Rochelle if I was a Leinster I think well, Toulouse, yes, but La Rochelle away, it's daunting. Um, I know we've already gone off the La Rochelle game, but um, the moment um, with 
for me in that game of Victor Vito doing the, yeah, the offload yeah. like that that shows the uh, other side that I guess that you have to yeah. um, watch everything the other fixture of course it'll be interesting to watch it um, interesting one in that it will be Jallywear and uh, Entomac like the two French tens going at each other um, that's going to be you know a sight mm. to behold and no, it's going to be a cracker game. Hope my old team Bordeaux get one up in the bus. <laughs> of course. Yeah, I know it's made for a few a few cracking semi-finals. In fairness, then we will move on to the Challenge Cup and Harlequins first and Northampton. You know, last night thirty-five twenty-seven win. Um, so yeah, that Saints game. You know, I think Ulster, as I said earlier on probably not the, the best performance, but they were still an awful lot better, which is probably encouraging for you guys going into a semi, because really, I think we discussed before we, we, we came on, Chris, and you might not want to say it, Mads, but re- I think looking at it, you know, this is probably the best opportunity for an Ulster team to win a trophy in quite a while. They're definitely the, probably, in my opinion, probably the best team left in the competition. Um, so it's a very exciting yeah, you know, like, lead in for you guys. Yeah, we, we made it clear that we were going to target this competition. You know, once we dropped down from from the Champions Cup, you know, the the, the chat from the players and the coaching staff has been, look, we're going to go full strength and, and we want to win it. Um, obviously, against Harlequins, they rotated. I think they they've their eye on, on the Premiership, which, which was you know disappointing for the competition, but it was still a very good performance, good complete performance on the road um, against the Saints at the weekend. It was a very funny first half. You know, they get you know a double yellow card where you know both players are off for effectively the same ten minutes. Um, it can almost make a team a bit antsy. Like you feel like, geez, we have to score. We have to make the most of this. You can you know end up forcing things a bit, and that probably happened to us. You know, we a lot of penalty advantages, advantages that we didn't quite use as well as we should have. And you know, Saints went into half time eight points up. You know, and in a cup match, that's that's tough going. But look, we didn't panic. We came out. It was really important for us that we scored first in that second half. Um, you know, got a three-pointer, backed it up, and then I definitely felt from around the 60-65 minute mark, I felt look, it looked like to me from watching on that we had Northampton broken. We were winning all the contacts. We were putting them under big pressure. They were starting to come up with a lot of handling errors. Um, and then the guys coming off the bench for us, like Tom O'Toole, Matty Ray, um, Andrew Warwick, like their carrying game, ultimately for me, got us over the line. Ethan McElroy on the on the wing was really rock solid when he came on again. Um, and Jacob Stockton had another big performance. Jacob was very good again. You know, mm-hmm. Jacob's been in great form. Obviously, like the knee knee injury took the the wind out of his sails a bit, but like he's been brilliant since he's come back. And um, you know, we're very lucky to have him. He's you know he's a serious athlete. His left foot left foot is invaluable for us. Um, and you know he carried the ball really well. Stu McCluskey had a cracker last night as well. You know he's Jordy man of the match. Yeah, Jordy, Jordy's how do you reckon, again. How do you think he's like? He, he's been such a great signing for us. Like, <laughs> talk about someone who's so durable. You know now he's been captain numerous times. He's obviously respected hugely there. Like great signing for you guys. Yeah, Jordy's really found some form. I think. Um, you know, maybe a few months back, he, you know, he even by his own standards would have been wanting more from himself, and I think he's been outstanding. Like, just you know what you get from him, from minute one to minute seventy nine, never stops, and, and he epitomised the game. Um, for me, um, he's just been brilliant, and you know, it's hard for Mads, obviously playing, but for me as an Ulster now fan, 
I thought it was just awesome. I think like to, to don't underestimate going away from home with a young Ulster You're not team. an Ulster fan, eh? I'm an Ulster fan, yeah. <laughs> 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 Might have, maybe. Um, but uh, yeah, it was all the game had everything. Like um, you know, uh, Alan Connor doing that. You know, he there was cracking wee front line out move around the corners yeah. from the pitch and someone like like you know Jordy Murphy Jordy Murphy got mad of the match but like I thought it was just a really good you know everyone had to dig in to win yeah. that game it was a really yeah. good team performance so you, know, you had Alan Connor Kieran Treadwell you know just all everyone in general like just did really well and the, and there's no doubt about it the Ulster Mall. Um, has been a weapon yeah. for Ulster. We've scored some really um, important wall tries. Um, you know, and this is something I want to bring up with you. They now have Stuart McCluskey and Jacob coming into the malls. Mm. That's how important that the weapon is. And I mean, do you, whenever they're training, do you ever get stuck in on the other side? Yeah, well, we, do you, do you enjoy talking, good wall defence? We've been you... talking to Roddy, the forwards coach, about we, what we want is the back on the end of the mall dotting it down just to get our stats up a bit so <laughs> <laughs> you take whatever you can uh, it was funny I was talking to John Andrew during the week and um, we were talking about like these mall tries and he was like yeah I've got to give you a little tip he's like you know you're back of the mall if you stay attached and, and you know dive over score the try it's given as a mall try obviously like you'll get it but he goes, if you break off just before you get over, it's given as like an individual try. Oh, no way. <laughs> it's like, yes, Johnny. What, like, on the, like just tagged differently yeah. on the computer? Jeez. He, he could Desperate. get a big trouble for, for sharing that with you, by the way. He's off the stats and ultimate rugby. <laughs> Brilliant. But no, like, I, as I said, like, I think that the, there's no doubt there's a nice... Um, Northampton are a physical... Yeah, yes, a young, the young side, they'll get better, but Northampton away from home in Franken Gardens... The pack had to step up. They did. Um, yes, it would have been nice to have maybe got ahead earlier with two yellow cards. Yeah. But I, I think, and, and an honourable mention for, for, for Billy Burns, like, um, you know, he obviously had a, a, a late shot to the rib and, and I think most people thought he was going to come off pretty soon and I'm sure it was frustrating for you, Mads, having, mm. probably watching going, right, I'm going to get in here earlier than expected. But for him to dig in and um, you know to, to, to play most of the game anyway, um, you know, it showed what it meant to him and it meant to the whole, all the team and... Yeah, like I think, moving forward, this this is I agree. This is the best chance that Ulster have for winning a trophy for a long time, and it would just be brilliant because I, I obviously know so many of the teams still there and the amount of hard work they put in, and, and I just hope um, for their sake they can now go to um, Leicester away. Yeah, uh, Leicester away, which obviously is going to be tough, but you know, we've won there before and they can do it again. Don't want to get you don't want to get too carried away now. Obviously, it's leading to semi-finals, so it wouldn't be great for the old COVID restrictions <laughs> if. Ulster took the trophy. The last year that Ulster won a trophy was it was it two thousand um, six. Two thousand six. Yeah. Two thousand six. You know, it's a, it's a it's a long wait. And listen, don't be adding six years onto it. We don't. Need that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's not like you have to pull me up on it. But you know, but Ulster have been knock, knocking on the door for many years. Whether it's finals, you know, final in the in the two thousand and twelve Heineken, you know, numerous semis and a few finals in the Pro fourteen, and really it is probably. The success is kind of overdue, and it kind of sums up that, like in like, obviously, listen. If this does happen and you manage to get there and and, and win it, with these you know COVID restrictions and all the rest, you could imagine what that would be around. Oh, it's no fans around then. Belfast and that. Like if it was, you know. Yeah. Well, who knows what'll happen? Things can change um, reasonably quickly. But yeah, no, I completely agree. Like, imagine if them. You know, if it was a full house uh, with Ulster fans. No matter where the game was played, they they travel in force. And um, but yeah, geez, I think every team obviously experiencing that at the moment. So I suppose quickly as well because those 
those semi-finals were, were announced before we came in here and you know you touched on it briefly I think there but Leicester, Ulster in, in Welford Road and then you got Bath, Montpellier over in England so um, should, should be two games two, two good games but I, like this is me like from a neutral side looking at it going like I think Ulster are the best team left in it really and I think that it, like not a tough not, not an easy place to go Leicester but you know, in terms of the way they've been playing, how inconsistently they've been playing there for quite a while, um, I think it's in Ulster's hands, really, that game. Yeah, they're definitely a side, though. I know the last two seasons leading up to this year, you know, we're well below Leicester's high standards that they've set over the last kind of 15, 20 years. Um, but you can see with, with Bortwick, his stuff is beginning to stick. They've built a good squad now there's some good young players coming through you've obviously got this, the senior guys the Youngs brothers um, Ford and I, I thought they put in a really good performance over the weekend um, they were you know very impressive in the in the last 16 game as well uh, you know they've had the luxury of playing at home in both games and they're going to have a home semi-final now so um, we know we're going to be coming up against a very tough pack um, and they have a dangerous back line now as well you know um, the Ferg thinks the Premiership's crap, so uh, <laughs> you're just. Joe, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I do think if um, if Marty Moore and you know Eric O'Sullivan, if, if we can lay a, a f- the foundation and, and with, the, with the line out and the scrum functioning well, I think the Ulster back line at the moment, you know, you've got Stuart McCluskey, you know, good things happen around him, and then you've got James Hume running, you know, incredible lines at the moment. It, I think as the it's just yeah, I just think it's a really nice balance of a of a team that Ulster have at the moment and um Rob Balakun, like you know, he's yeah, incredible. And and, and the, the aerial battle, sorry, that's something that we need that didn't talk on about yesterday. Dan Bigger, obviously um, yeah. known for his like world class looking after the backfield. Like mm. they always put him in the backfield to look after these high balls. You got Rod Balakun picking balls out from everywhere, Jacob Stockdale doing it. So um they got a big Yeah, a big there's nothing better as an out half knowing that like your winger's got got his edge over his opposite man down one side and like once you're not getting over the game line you're just thinking right well I'll just pump it pump it in the air down that side and we're going to come back with the ball you know four times out of five it's and like that, that in the second half that was huge for mm. us you know Billy put up some cracking kicks um, Rob got after them really well either caught them clean himself or just made a mess of it and like in a cup match that's absolutely huge yeah yeah definitely with a listen they're going to be two really exciting semi-finals to look forward to there but we'll move on to another talking point now so just on past experiences from from what you've had Chris and maybe ones that have happened recently Mads but what is the one game that you wish you could get back you know whether it was something that happened you or happened the team or as a final or something what's the one game you'd love to just get back to be able to do it all over again even recently like the to lose in, in, in the Champions Cup at the start of this season, it was just a game that, you know, obviously the, the, the first game of the, the Champions Cup is huge every, every year at home in, in, in the Kingsman. It was a game that I've, I felt we were on top of for the majority. Toulouse got a bit of the breaking ball, got three or four opportunities, scored off their three or four opportunities. We had the lion's share of possession and it's just a game that I'd love to go. I'd love to have that one back and um, I it just had that feel. If it was played five times, we would have won four out of the five. They got us on the day. Um, now, don't get me wrong, they're a fantastic side, but that was one that I just felt you know, really unwell afterwards. It was like, they've robbed us there. Um, and it was yeah, a tough one to take. Yeah, losing the home, the French sides, you know, that is at Kingspan, it's always tough, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. yeah. 
How about you? For me, the, the one of the, the games I would love to have gone back um, to see, you know, a different outcome would have been the Saracens quarterfinal for Ulster in 2014 when Jared Payne got red carded. Mm. Um, it happened really early in the match. I think like within the first sort of four or five minutes, and we had to play the game for 14 minutes and or for uh, with 14 men for for most of the game. And um, yeah, we only lost the game by about two points. And looking back at it, you know. I think Chris Ashton. I just remember him doing his dive and scoring. And I think if you Jared went up for the ball uh, and, and a fair contest, but it, um, the Sarsons fullback fell and got concussed and had to come off. And I just think looking back, maybe a different day. You know that it was such a small moment mm-hmm. had a ma- such a massive effect on us because we had a you know it was probably our Ulster's strongest team um, in the history of of the last few years. Um, so yeah, that was a game where I think if I look back, if you could just say to Jared. Just take it easy, just take it easy. <laughs> Don't yeah. go for it. Let him catch this one. <laughs> yeah. Give it to him. <laughs> yeah, give it to him. Yeah. I know, I remember seeing that at the time going, yeah, it's rare. And, you know, things weren't even as hot about hitting people in the air, I think, but that one was particularly bad so early in the game. One that sticks out for me would probably be who just get it back and, and probably replay the second half of the game more than anything would be in 2012. We, we had played the final against you guys and then the following week we had the final of the um, pro... 12, I think it was called at that stage, against the Ospreys. The Ospreys team would have had, like, you know, Alan Wynne-Jones, obviously still there, but it would have been it would have been a very strong side. It was, you know, you had the likes of Dan Bigger and um, and Scott Williams and Reese Webb when he was playing very well and he broke into the team. Shane Williams. <laughs> Shane yeah, Williams. Shane, Shane Williams scored. So we were winning by around seven points or so in the second half. It just unraveled for us. In fairness, in hindsight, we probably... We get, we did have a big night together, you know. The, the after winning the final the week before and the emotional energy of trying to get mm-hmm. back up for a final again, along with the fatigue, um, they just kind of they took us to the cleaners a little bit in the last twenty minutes. Shane Williams scored two tries. The one game I get back that probably that would probably be it really. But um, I think you can live with that though. Huh? You could probably live with that. Come on. <laughs> Yeah, I probably yeah, can live yeah, with that, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you, you, want a, get... you want a few other things, so you're all right. Yeah, but like, human beings are a bit greedy, right? Yeah. You wanted 11 yeah. league wins. <laughs> not, not content with 10. Exactly. <laughs> right, well, here, all right, guys. Um, we're going to call it a day there. We'll be back after a short break. If you haven't already done so, click subscribe on House of Rugby Ireland to never miss a show. We're joined now by Leinster and Ireland Centre, Michelle Claffey. Great to have you with us here. Hi, thanks for having me. Welcome. We're going to have to start, obviously, to talk about our own Emer Constantine and the two tries she scored. What did you make of uh, her performance in particular yesterday? Yeah, Emer definitely stood out. She had a really good performance by her. She got two tries, could have got a third one, but uh, I think she left a babe and went went over her head. Um, So she's definitely adding to her game as well. She kicked four times yesterday and a really good uh, exit clearance kick as well. So uh, nice to see she's adding things to her game during lockdown as well. We'll be keeping her feet on the ground around here, don't yeah. worry anyway. But you you have, like Emer, we know that Emer has a bit of a the GA background, but you, you do also, we believe. Yeah, I uh, played uh, football years ago at this stage and kind of took it up uh, last summer a little bit again, uh, but awfully uh, when I was a lot younger. Um, and it was great to get back playing again last summer as well. It was nice to kind of segue off uh, rugby for a little while when we couldn't play. Yeah, for sure. We we, we both would have played a bit of J. I would have played GA growing up, and you've yeah, very much so, wasn't yeah. it? 
Yeah, got through primary school probably would have been my main sport, and then it was only really when I moved to Blackrock in secondary school that it took over, and you were you were the same in, in Kildare. I would have yeah played with Suncroft a little bit of um, Kildare minors before I wasn't let out of boarding school to go to train, but I think there was actually a really strong kind of crossover from a lot of people that do play a lot of GEA and, and go across and you can see that obviously with with Emer and yourself mm -hmm. and, and others but um, with that Irish performance yesterday f for the women and such a comprehensive victory I mean like would you have seen that coming leading into the match? Uh, I definitely want to see the win coming not as comprehensive as uh, the girls um, achieved yesterday like to score that many points and also to keep it to a nil all uh, mm. was incredible but first, their fitness, they looked incredibly fit. They moved around the park. They didn't look breathless any time. There was numbers in rocks. There was numbers available out in the pitch. Like, they were moving around that pitch really well. Um, so that's, again, uh, Orla Kern doing incredible work there for the past number of months and even trying to keep them at that standard when there was kind of a break in games and then they're back on, but then they're off again. So even just trying to keep mentally them ticking over, it was brilliant. Um, and then also their defence, uh, keep out nil all. Like, you don't get many clean sheets in international rugby. Um, that's to the defensive work of Kieran Hallett. Like he's come in there in the past year and he's worked wonders and he's implemented a system that everyone trusts and everyone believes in and are pushing forward with it. Yeah, because Kieran actually, I would have played with Kieran at um, Irish un under twenty ones actually back in the day, and Kieran came in to Leinster I think just over a season ago, mm -hmm. and in, you know he's helping right out with the development and, and academy side of things and obviously he took up the role but it seems like that coaching ticket there is is a really strong one for the women's it's you know even from talking to Emer from when she was coming in and out of here and obviously it was massive frustration from her and the girls about the uncertainty of going forward but what she did kind of say was just you know the enjoy the enjoyable environment that they seem to have created yeah, and he's brought like a different age of professionalism to our amateur setup, um, and it's it's a different perspective. He's living it and breathing it every day in Leinster, and then the weekends bring it in to Irish camp, and I suppose new ideas, it's fresh ideas, and he's there like at the the forefront of rugby, and Leinster are doing so well at the minute, so they very much so have all the new ideas and everything coming through. And Rob Sweeney's in helping with the scrums. Yeah, Chops is brought in to yeah. work on the scrums and that was pretty evident the weekend and how good his work has been over the past number of months. Um, like they won eight scrums yesterday, didn't lose any. Um, and then as well, they got to work on their line-out that's been working so well for them. They won 11 line-outs, they disrupted Wales, they uh, turned over five of their own line-outs. So throughout that game, like every I suppose the past number of months, they've used lockdown to kind of nail down their scrums, nail down their lineouts, get your set piece sorted. Because once that's bedded in, then you can just play off that. Yeah, it certainly looks that way. It looks like the the Irish team have used used that time, which you know it is difficult, especially when it's as extended as a year. You know, to be able to keep the structure and, and keep a plan in place, like you know, a lot of credit's got to go to the the backroom the backroom team. Yeah, and no, listen, a lot of credit's got to go to the girls and the squad mm. in general I think you know you could easily get frustrated and probably you know the you know motivation is always going to get affected when mm -hmm. your calendars change you got over the place and you know in fairness that didn't happen as much for the men so that must have been very tough for all of you guys just trying to you know stay driven but as you say to to put that score up on Wales but also um to keep them to nil you know that's that's uh that's a great springboard going into the French game because the French would have beaten them by around 50 points, a little bit more. So you'd imagine this French game, you know, it should be a big challenge, but, it, it, you know, it's, it's, it's one that 
we're all looking forward to think after a great start for Ireland. You have to look at the Wales as a team before you can kind of say, well, France put this on Wales and Ireland put this on Wales. Like Wales are in a bit of a, a distorted state at the minute. Like they lost their skills coach Rachel Taylor um, a week before the first game against France. They lost their main scrum half player who just returned from injury and she got injured again, so she was gone. Um, and this is all a week before they played France, who were one like, an excellent team. So. Like Rachel Taylor had six seven caps for her country. She was captain in the 2017 World Cup. Um, like what happened that she walked away? The camp, everything can't be happy in camp there. So yeah. it's probably a little bit of state of flux. Um, but like France took their chances, Ireland took their chances, and you got to build on that. You can't fault any Welsh team member for the effort they put into the pitch, and like they try so hard, and everyone does, no matter what the scoreline is. No one has gone out there and not performed to the best of their abilities. Definitely, you can only play what's in front of you as well, mm -hmm. you know. And, and Ireland certainly did that. And I suppose another player who I think he ran the show very well was uh, Hannah Tyrrell at mm -hmm. ten, and, and really that's kind of been a position for Ireland that's chopped and changed quite a while um, over yeah. a number of seasons. I think there's been eight different players who've been in and out in that position. So would do you think that it would be kind of positive for the team to have maybe a bit of consistency there in selection or how would you feel about that? So Hannah uh, got her first start at 10 in the uh, last game or the last game of last year's Six Nations against Italy um, and she performed quite well that day um, and then she got another start here against um, Wales weekend and she performed really well and the team were taken over and it was fine but then they switched her out and brought in their ninth, uh, their ninth out half in Stacey Flood um, to try and manage the game so I think it'd be great to have Hannah play the full 80 or at least 75 there to try and get her more embedded into the game and keep that consistency because if the players around you are trying to play off a different 10 every time it's very difficult to get a bit of momentum like what are they going to do next like teams take over and teams play well when they know what their 10 wants from them mm. and if that's a different person they think they think differently so I think that's something that it'd be great if Hannah had stayed there and or at least keep some form of consistency because they have really quality 10s in the, the squad mm. so um, I think for a squad from a squad point of view they need to ensure that they keep with a 10 that the management keeps and ensures and everyone has confidence in yeah, like I think managing that rotation, mm -hmm. but also in certain key positions, you know, people need to be kind of nailed down there for a number of games to get, like you know as well, better than anyone. I think we all in agreement that, you know, the halfbacks along with one or two other positions, they, like to get up to your top form, they certainly are one of those positions you need to get. Yeah, repeated. absolutely. Like you, you, you know, from the halfbacks, how they set up the team, it can be slightly different from week to week. Mm -hmm. and, and as you said, off a certain nine, you know, the forwards might have a certain amount of width. You know, we were talking earlier in the show about you know how Leinster moved the ball quickly. You could have a, a nine who plays a different style. How you time your run is different. It's the exact same at out half. Um, you know, the the connection you're building through the week that builds up week to week. And you know, as you get into the you know the third, fourth, fifth game of a competition, you've built a wealth of knowledge. If you're chopping and changing, you're just literally chopping up that wealth of knowledge, and yeah. it, it's not going to carry into something that can win you a competition. Yeah, definitely. I think the uh, standout performer again, and listen, I think that there was brilliant performance across the board, but a really exciting young talent, Bevan Parsons uh, with two tries, mm -hmm. a bit of a, you know, the female kind of equivalent of a Jordan Larmer in ways, a really electric runner in that, and I'm sure you're, you're happy to see her perform very well. 
Oh, she was class. Unbelievable. Um, her first try, um, I think it got the, the Irish team got a solid performance or a solid platform from the scrum on the right hand side. Great control at the back of the scrum by Junior. And you can just see the want to get that ball out to that left wing. Um, she was nearly tackled by a, a winger. Um, Wilkins, who earned her 50th cap, tried to come across to stop her. And it was like she wasn't even there. Mm. They even accelerated into that contact, continued on through. And I just watch her eyes or her, her body language. She is focused on that trial line. She's actually focused on the post. Like, <laughs> she is going White line fever. She's not passing it anyway. <laughs> she is not passing. She's she was... seen Emer kicking it away and Bevan running herself. <laughs> I know. Not many of us can get a pass on that team. But, like, no one's actually going probably near Bevan at this stage. So she's yeah. gone that far. Like, she is, she is some speed and she's some talent. Yeah. And I suppose, like, after you've been in camp over the past year and that, what's it been like having those sevens players in the mix? How do you feel that's, that the integration there has been? Yeah, like there's always been a consistent flow of seven players into the 15s um, squad because it's women's sevens and 15s, all one programme. Um, it's interesting to see how they attack, how they defend. It's a different game. And yeah. I suppose they have to integrate into us and we have to integrate into how they attack as well. And you kind of have to run off them. Um, they bring a wealth of knowledge from the sevens arena and their skills are quite good. Like they're there in the shop window with the IRFU on a daily basis. Yeah. They're there running through their video analysis, they have the ability to, to get extra skills in because they're there. They're basically our full-time professionals because they're mm. paid to play rugby. And yes, the seven circuit is on at the minute, but they're still in doing the sevens training. There's still a squad of girls there um, who are available to play sevens whenever it may return. Um, and then because there's some crossover to 15s, they've, they've come in, they've been involved in internal games as well. So it's not good for a squad to be training with 27 people there. So by buffering up the squad with the extra sevens players coming in, you have 30 players there, 32 players there. So it's 15 against 15. So like when you're attacking against oh, a team, yeah, when you're attacking against a team that's yeah. 12, you're like, oh, this is great. It's anything that's unopposed yeah. as well. Like, Fall in oh, love with yourself very quickly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, not that that's ever happened. I'm like, each underground in a rock or something. Um, so like, it's very easy to think that you're class. Uh, so by yeah. bolstering up the squad with the sevens girls, it's great to get body in the pitch just to try and establish well where is the space what are we trying to do what are we trying to manipulate Even for the competitiveness and training 100%. it's crucial you need to go you need to be you know if you're the second choice guys or girl there's nothing better going head to head 15 on 15 and, and getting the better of them and going I'm going to do it again the next day and suddenly there's a bit of movement then between the perceived seconds and the first if you don't have that with 15 on 15 it's 15 on 12 mm. it, it, it just doesn't have the competitiveness in training yeah. And like, give me my shot. Like, I want to get this chance. Absolutely. Like, I want to take on my opposite number. I want to yeah. get this going. I want to show that actually I'm not second choice. I'm actually rivaling for the first choice here. And that's what extra players brought in. They push everyone on. They make everyone better because you want to play. Um, so that's how what they bring. I think those yeah the the seven system in fairness, you know, it has been worth its weight in gold in a way for both the men's I think and the women's really because you know some of the guys that have come through in the in the men's have been. You know, outstanding talents. Once, once they they've kicked on, you've got like you know Shane Daly, then you know in in, in Munster and and um, you know in Leinster, you've got the likes of Will Connors and Jimmy O'Brien, Hugo Keenan now, mm -hmm. you know, uh, mainstay on the team, and they went through that system. I think you can see from the women as well, the ones that that have that little bit of exposure and then they merge back in. It seems to have been really positive. 
Yeah, and I think to add to that, you'd want kind of maybe a talent ID officer rather than just taking a girl from um, a 15 setup and then putting her into a 7 setup and then taking her out of the 7 setup and putting her back into 15s. Like if there was a talent ID officer coordinator for the ages of 17 to 23, that could be much mm. more beneficial or like a development squad or a development tournament there to help these girls transition to. Like Bavin was playing under 18 in 2018. She was uh, outside centre for Connacht and she scored three tries in the final for them to win that game. One of which was like a, a run the length of the pitch, something she's completely used to these days. Um, so like if you have a programme there in order to enable her to get better at a 15s player rather than just be put into a seven set up to learn the sevens. And the strength and condition involved in that game is very different. You have to be much more lean. You have to be able to move a lot more. There's a lot more space. So I think it's a different kind of speed as well that's needing it. There's not much space on it, as much space on a 15s pitch as the sevens. You kind of look up and go, is, there's um, 30 bodies. Is sevens something that you'd like to see come in to schools in maybe like the, sub, the, you know, the, the last term of, of, of school, you know, in boys' or girls' schools? Do you think it's... Uh, I think it's a nice introduction to rugby as uh, overall because it's not the technicality of a line-out, of a scrum or what position you have to play. It's just if like, you don't have the physicality as well, it can be quite a good intro. You know, for certain yeah. girls, they, obviously you're talking about Bave in there as an example, but like she obviously kicked on early-ish, but there was probably a stage that, where she was so talented but probably not physically as strong as the other girls mm -hmm. as well. And I think it can be that process can be a good one to kind of ease them in. Yeah, and it's like that. It's not as many people on the pitch, so the space is there. So there's an ability for them to run into the gaps, run into the space and identify it. And I think that's one key thing to build in the 15s game is that it's heads up rugby. And in mm. sevens, you need to look heads up and see where is the space. And to bring that aspect from sevens to 15s could, like, could be very helpful towards them, them building on to move on to 15s. For sure. And who else impressed you for the Irish team? Because I know, listen, Everyone could fall a bit guilty of just talking about try scores and this mm -hmm. and that. I know the two girls got two each, but a lot of hard work went in around the park. You're saying the scrum went great. Who, who else impressed you for Ireland? Uh, Dorothy Wall, hands down. Um, she's playing six. Uh, she made eight tackles. She was second highest metres gained on the pitch. Uh, she's a wrecking ball. She thinks she's the highest number of tackles, 24 tackles over the game. Yeah. Um, you want to get that girl on the ball and you want that girl to be in that defending challenge as well. Um, I think she came, she's one of the prime examples that came through the player pathway from fettered girls rugby, um, right through, she represented Munster underage, um, senior, and then into the sevens and fifteens programme as well. And she's just been a talent. Well, what do you think that, you know, after such a positive day at the office for Ireland, what do you think they need to get right to, to beat France? Uh, Reduce the penalty count. Um, I definitely think reduce the penalty count and then hold on to the ball without getting turned over. It was a couple of times there. I don't know if the late arrivers or if people weren't as effective at the breakdown. They need to come in, they need to clear out that player, get rid of the threat, or else maybe it's the person who's presenting the ball needs to work a bit harder on the ground. Um, because it, what enabled Ireland to score their tries in the first 30-35 minutes was that quick ball. Um, it was quick ball, goal ball. They turned it like it was 1-2-3, gone. Um, because they're so fit, they're getting set early. So because they're fit, you need quick ball. Uh, and if the rucks are slow, it slows everything down. It takes momentum out of it. And you can see there, even from Emer's try, her second one like was quick ball. She was there and she hit the line flat and she was through that gap. Um, so Emer's good at identifying the space or the gap for herself and picking out a few mismatches. Um, and like she was going herself and not passing, oh, oh, kicking well. the ball away. Then, <laughs> yeah, yeah. If, if she's taking everything out of the ball, she's not going to score. She'll kick it. She did look to pass. In fairness, and she it was like a dummy pass. It's she like, was never so passing no, that no, ball. No, You're joking me. No, Don't you worry. We'll keep her feet right in the ground today. I think the celebration picture is one that will never be left down. <laughs> yeah, true. She was she was loving that. 
But in fairness, listen, we're, we're delighted to see it back on again. And yeah. it's, it's just great to see that they kicked off in, in such in such style. So fair play to them. Wish them you know, certainly best of luck going into the following week. I'm going to touch on another quick point here. Just back going back to the to the men's and get both your your opinion on on the Rainbow Cup, which looks like it's it's been pulled now. Um, so obviously there were you know a lot of talk about the Rainbow Cup and another competition with this kind of strange season that's gone on. Um, uncertain times, I know, but frustrating that this is finished. But really, on paper, was that ever going to go ahead? Yeah, like I think they've fallen. The, you know. At the last hurdle, I think the the plan was for them to get set up in Bristol, and now with the with the quarantine with with the UK, it it, it doesn't look like it's worked out. But um, from my perspective and from from Ulster's Ulster's perspective, it's very frustrating. You know, we've gone um, through I think two thirds of a league season. We've lost two games. We haven't made the playoffs, and now what was supposed to be the Rainbow Cup and a, and a new competition. You know, I'm, I'm not too sure what's going to happen now. So. It is definitely turned into a bit of a mess. Hopefully, you know, the Pro 14 can salvage something, whether it's, a, you know, an inter-pro series or, you know, a kind of hybrid competition for maybe eight games to see us through to till the end, end of June. But look, there's no getting away from it that it is a bit of a mess now. Yeah, I think that inter-pro idea would actually be a good one. I don't know, because I think uh, it's as safe as you can get, really. And, yeah. you know, there's be a huge appetite within the country, you know, and probably from beyond as well. If you've got... You know, you know, Connacht, Ulster, Munster, Leinster, and you know, fixtures away home, you know, and have a little trophy at the end of it. Yeah. I think it, it would be certainly be better than nothing. Yeah, because even at Christmas time, well, you have your interprovincial games. They're mostly then, but after the year that's been and the amount of games that's been played, you'd love to see a little bit more interprovincial derbies between the the various teams, just to see what they get from it. But also, you can bring new players through and start kind of blending them back into the squad. Not Leinster needs to do that. They've done enough with their 50 odd players so far this yeah. season but even to give more people more game time and just like you've been training all year for it um, yeah. so why not have more games and the domestic competition makes some more sense the only stumbling block I can see with that would be like you know what would the Scottish the two Scottish teams do what would the two Italian teams do mm-hmm. like they can't just go and play each other you know six head to head games like the Welsh teams could arguably do an inter-pro series but mm. it's, it's keeping everyone happy in the league it might be slightly challenging but certainly from an Irish perspective yeah. it's something that the players would love and I think the supporters Let would the Italians and Scots worry about that as well <laughs> <laughs> nice one guys well, cheers guys and cheers to everybody for watching and listening a big thanks to producer Pat Paul Anthony Dermot and everyone that helped getting the show together this is House of Rugby Ireland here on Joe House of Rugby Ireland here on Joe game changed